My name is Ali. I'm a doctor and YouTuber. I'm Taymor. I'm a data scientist and writer. And you're listening to Not Overthinking, the weekly podcast where we think about happiness, creativity, and the human condition. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Not Overthinking. How are you doing today, Taymor? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. I feel like I haven't caught up. I'm, I, I feel like I've been getting deeper into sleep debt every single day. Over yeah, the I feel last, like we talk, like, about, we talk about this every single week. Yeah. Why do you go so much so much into sleep debt? Yesterday was all right, actually. I was like prob- probably fully asleep by 10.45 p.m. And I was in bed by like 10.15 p.m. or something. Mm. So if I can just do that a few more times, I think today I should be able to do that. Tomorrow, I've got a lad's dinner, which might scupper those plans. But it's got to be done. Right? I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so sleep, sleep debt, sleep deprivation. Yep. How does it feel? I don't know. I feel like during the day it's fine. It's just getting out of the bed and in the morning it's a bit grim because you're like, Ugh. and then it's also really cold these days. So I'm just like always cold. Didn't you quit the nine to five to avoid stuff like this, to be able to kind of do what you want? No, but part of what doing what <laughs> I want is like, basically I could sleep in more, but I don't want to like... I want to keep the habit of like kind of waking up between seven and seven thirty, okay. no matter what time I go to bed. Mm. Otherwise, I'll just be screwed. So, like, right. yeah, that's the reason. So, you would like to do what you want, and you would like to wake up seven to seven thirty, but you struggle to actually sleep on time. Yeah, precisely. Yep. Okay, fair enough. Um, has anything else interesting happened this week? Interestingly, we had a comment on one of the YouTube videos, I think, from the previous pod, being like. Is it just me, or is the preamble way more interesting than them reading highlights from books or a, sum- a summary of a book from Blinkist? Yeah, I saw that comment, and then someone else replied saying, "Like, no, the books are actually interesting." I think they someone said that they didn't like this book, but they liked like the Sexual Revolution one, for example. They yeah. also had a comment saying, "Like, don't even bother doing twenty-two minute episodes." Oh well, yeah, it's yeah, a yeah, waste of everyone's time. Waste of time. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, that kind that of hurt. That, like, when I read that, that made me feel a bit bad. Oh. Yeah. Oh, well. Because, um, well, because your poo was 40, 38 minutes long that day. <laughs> well, yeah. I'm basically just calling you out for that. Um, well, look, I think, the, you know, as good as the preamble is, I think we're actually getting to a good bit in this book. And so I'd like to dive back into why love hurts. I'm fine. <laughs> Do you not want to? Look, so, okay. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be honest with you. It's quite taxing for me. Yeah. To sit here and be like, and watch you spend half of the episode flicking through and trying to figure out what you're trying to say. Yeah. And trying to read a thing and be like, no, no, wait, no, um, no, yeah. it's, just, it's just, it's not, it's not particularly fun. I think yeah. it's more interesting when you actually have read the book yeah. and then you talk about the ideas in the book so I can, we can have a conversation about it rather than as in the process of reading the book, you're like, let me read you one page at a time. Because I yeah. can read the book one page at a time myself if I really wanted to. I can get it on Audible if I really wanted to. But it's highlights. It's not the book. Okay, so then get the highlights and put them on one page so that you can just be like, bang, 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 rather than... I mean, like, hopefully all the pauses are cut out in the final cut. So maybe yeah. it's less taxing for the audience. But it's just incredibly frustrating to sit here. Really? Watch you scroll for five minutes for one highlight. And I'm like, oh, interesting. Okay, cool. Comment. I scroll for another five minutes to find the other highlight. Yeah. So just just like throwing, throwing that out there. Um, that's how I feel. Uh, okay. Okay, let's just try this one last time okay. where I don't scroll for highlights and I just like go highlight by highlight okay. and fill in the pieces. Okay? There, is, there is a feature on Kindle that literally lets you look at your highlights. No, no, I know. I know. Okay, cool. Because well, you spend a lot of time scrolling. Yeah, yeah. Because I was like, yeah, I was trying to get some extra context. Okay. 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 Sure. Let's give it a go. Why does love hurt? <laughs> okay, nice. So if you recall, 
what the book was laying out in the first like introduction and first chapter, which I think is where we got to, is like, look, the way we think about love and romance and things like this is uniquely different in modern times. Okay. And um there are kind of various reasons. But so two 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 kind of metaphors that she uses, which I think are quite uh quite interesting, is that the the sort of internal and external conditions of how we think about love are quite different. And she, she calls the external conditions, the, uh, the ecology of choice. So the, you know, the way in which we choose a mate, um, based on like external, uh, the, the sort of the water we're swimming in when it comes to like mate choosing, uh, she calls the, the ecology of choice. And she, she says, one of the main transformations undergone by love in modernity has to do with the very conditions within which romantic choices are made. Um, and, the, you know, we, we talked on the last episode about how, like, you know, choice is, like, really important. Like, nowadays, it's all about, like, autonomy and exercising your own, like, authenticity and stuff like this. And so cho- choice is, is really important. And um, she says well, one of the kind of differences and conditions is uh, the, the ecology of choice or the social environment that compels one to make choices in a certain direction. Um, and then the other is what she calls the architecture of choice, uh, which is more about like the internal kind of mechanisms and the way we think about things internally and stuff like that. So um, the uh, so let's let's ignore the architecture side of things and talk about the ecology side. Uh, so now I'm just going to skip to skip to a highlight. Um, <laughs> so people talk about uh, yeah, I think like one one common thing when people talk about modernity is talking about how like oh nowadays everyone is really like individualistic, whereas previously people were more like community focused and stuff yeah. like this, right? Like this is like the thing of like oh you know modern times is like really individualistic, um, but she's actually saying that that's actually not all that's going on. So because, but given that effective individualism uh so affective individualism is kind of her equivalent of um expressive individual individualism from like um the modern self book okay so that's kind of what she means she says given that affective individualism has been around western europe for at least 300 years this notion is too broad and imprecise to describe and characterize modern emotional transactions so it's not just about uh individualism now the great transformation of love is characterized by a number of factors this is always talking about ecology here, right? One, the normative deregulation of the mode of evaluation of prospective partners. Okay. That is, it's disentanglement from group and communal frameworks and the role of mass media in defining criteria of attractiveness and worth. So the way, you know, we, we, we don't really, you know, previously our mate selection um was was kind of affected a lot by group and communal factors around like you know things like social class and stuff like that um and obviously that that's still true but it's kind of much more reduced and now we have we're all consuming like mass media in a way that we never were before and so everyone is kind of aligning on like hey this is what is desirable mm. whereas previously like if everyone's not reading the same crap online or whatever you know you could have you could have your own taste and not really know oh well it seems like everyone else thinks that this is what i should be going for or this is how i should be kind of thing right um two an int- increasing tendency, you're going to like this one, to view one's sexual and romantic partner simultaneously in psychological and sexual terms, with the former being ultimately subsumed under the latter. Um, and three, finally, the emergence of sexual fields. The fact that sexuality as such plays an increasingly important role in the competition between actors on the marriage market. 
Okay, what so psychological versus sexual in point number two, what does she mean? Um, I think what she means, and we'll probably get to this, is that um You want someone who can like give you feedback on your blog post, not just someone Yeah, yeah, I th- yeah, I think we're you know, you're kind of looking for someone who sort of satisfies all of your sort of ne- yeah. needs needs that require. I, th- I think that's what she means, but may- maybe it doesn't we'll, we'll get to it. Um but the third the third thing is more the, the what she calls sexual fields um and how like sexuality is kind of a key role in picking mates i mean it seems almost a given today that like obviously like sexuality is like a key role in picking a mate like, yeah obviously um but maybe it wasn't always that way so okay <laughs> history uh so yeah we talk about she she now starts to talk about uh sex appeal as a concept History is full of examples of the power of erotic attraction and of the importance of beauty for falling in love. However, although sexiness has probably been somewhat implicitly present throughout history as an aspect of attraction and love, its deployment as an explicit, pervasive, and legitimate cultural category and criterion of evaluation is essentially modern, in, in that it is underpinned by a vast economic and cultural organization codifying sexual allure and sexiness as a cultural category, sexiness is distinct from beauty. So, you know, this idea of, like, beauty has always been there in love, right? Like, you know, you want a beautiful partner, like, you know eros erotic love you know this is all this has always been there but um sexiness as a concept the and industrial like, sex, yeah the industrial concept of sexiness yeah the industrial concept of sexiness and like sex appeal as as a really explicit thing that people are looking for and striving for like starting to have themselves this is this is very new uh and like yeah pre- previously it was about sort of beauty and now like Sure, beauty is great, but like sexiness is a key thing. And like you know, if you listen to, if you listen to anything, like ah, there was this song, this Megan Trainor song that was stuck in my head the last couple of weeks. Um, it's called "Made You Look." Okay, and it's just like the most. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how to put it. It's just like <laughs> do, you, do you want to read out some lyrics? <gasps> yeah, it's, I just think it's like. I mean, it's an extremely catchy song. Um, you want to sing it for us? Um, it's been a while since you've sung, you've sung on the podcast. <laughs> All right, let me get the lyrics. Uh, my I think last time you sang on the podcast was obviously. Was it? Is that, 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 that on the pod? I think so. Okay, so this is a song called "Made You Look" by Megan Trainor. You know this one? No, you haven't heard this. How does it go? It goes. I could have my Gucci on. I could wear my Louis Vuitton, but even with nothing on, I made you look. I made you look. <laughs> <laughs> Never heard of it. Okay, so basically, I th- I mean, basically, the, the the song is purely about like sexiness and aspiring to be sexy, and okay. like the value and the sort of virtue of, of, of sex. Uh, the, basically, the, the lyrics are, are basically like, look, I c- I could have my Gucci on, I could have my, I could wear my Louis Vuitton. That's a good, but even, but even, rhyme. With, yeah, yeah, but even with nothing on. I bet I made you look. Yeah. So she's basically saying, like, you know, even, you know, I could I could wear my like fancy brand yeah. or whatever. But and, even when I'm not wearing, but any even of when those, I'm not wearing any of those, I still made you look because yeah, I still made you look. And and she just keeps going on about it. I'll make you double take as soon as I walk away. Call up your chiropractor just in case your neck break. Um, <laughs> That's a good line. Because I'm I'm about to make a scene, double up that sunscreen. I'm about to turn the heat up. Going to make your glasses steam. Uh, when I do my walk, walk, I can guarantee your jaw will drop, drop. Because they don't make a lot of what I got, got. Uh, 
<laughs> this should be a regular feature in the podcast <laughs> where you just read lyrics. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, like, it's a really catchy song, and I have been, I had been listening to it on repeat. But I think it's just like the most. <laughs> it's it's just like borderline satanic, you know. It's like it's just like a yeah. It's just like a, a worship of of the self, and like yeah, basically very explicitly saying like um, you know my my sex appeal and my like hotness and uh, other people perceiving me as hot is like really you know this is like crucial hmm. um okay and so yeah this is kind of that you it's, it's hard to imagine you know 200 years ago a focus uh, such an explicit focus on like an individual individual sex appeal and like a, as something that people are aspiring to and like this is like one of the most popular songs in in the world right now really I think. yeah oh, dude man yeah Need to keep up with the Spotify charts. Um, yeah, I think it was like using TikToks and stuff like that, and then went viral or something. But like, this is clearly part of the mainstream romance, mm. whatever you call it, of like I'm so hot kind of thing, and like aspiring to be hot and the importance sure. of hotness. Yeah, it's been going on for a while. The whole like WAP stuff, the whole like all of that genre of of music. Yeah. So sexiness is distinct from beauty. All right. Okay. Cool. All right, next highlight on this topic. 19th century notions of beauty drew a clear separation between fashion or cosmetics, i.e. changeable, mutable, and driven by external sources, and what was then called moral beauty, which had a timeless and inner quality. Thus, 19th century notions of beauty did not contain an explicit reference to sex or sexuality. Quite the contrary, beauty was relevant only to the extent that it reflected character. Victorian morality viewed cosmetics with suspicion because they were perceived to be an illegitimate substitute for real inner moral beauty. At the beginning of the 20th century, however, perfumes, makeup, powders, cosmetics, and creams flooded the emerging markets of consumption, and in trying to promote these goods, advertisers disentangled beauty from character. Hmm. Okay, interesting. And then she says a bunch of stuff. And uh, the next highlight is the construction of eroticized female bodies across all social classes was thus one of the most formidable cultural accomplishments of early 20th century consumer culture. Damn. Okay. Um, yeah, just going to talk about the general like cult of, she calls it the cult of beauty in like magazines, movies, etc. It's it's like it, you you go anywhere in London and someone is trying to put some explicit sex appeal in your face on some kind of ad and try and get you to buy some product as a mm. result of it, right? Like, mm. I think everyone everyone has seen this. Um, next highlight. The foregrounding of the body in U.S. culture and the intense commodification of sex and sexuality made sexual attractiveness a cultural category in itself, detached from moral value, per se. Sure. The cult of beauty and later of fitness and the definition of masculinity and femininity in terms of erotic and sexual attributes were relentlessly promoted by the cultural industries and had the effect of progressively transforming sexual attractiveness and sexiness into positive cultural categories in their own right, making sexual desirability one of the central criteria for choosing a mate and for shaping one's personhood. Right. Hmm. Okay, yeah, nice. I buy that. The commodification of sex and sexuality, their penetration into the very heart of the capitalist engine, made sexuality into an attribute and experience increasingly detached from reproduction, marriage, long-lasting bonds, and even emotionality. Hmm. All right, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Next slide. These cultural forces combined made sex, sexuality, and sexual desirability not only legitimate, but also central to the choice of mate, ultimately granting this criterion an autonomous power of its own. To be sexually attracted to someone would become a condition sine qua non of romantic partnership. Like, 
it's basic like the way we think about it it's like basically today, axiomatic yeah it's like <laughs> that like of course you've got to be sexual by definition you like s- sexual attractiveness yeah and, and it's being like sexually attracted upon this is like the starting point this it's is like, like whenever there's a conversation around like friends or anything around <clears throat> well what are people looking for in a mate everyone's like well of course i've got to be attracted to them yeah yeah it's yeah. just like basically a given yeah and and when we say attracted to them like I think, yeah, I think in the modern usage of like, oh, you know, I, I, I've got to I, think they're hot rather than I'm attracted to their character or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, well, when, when we when we talk about attracted, it basically means sexually attracted nowadays. You're not saying, you're not really saying like, oh, yeah, I'm like drawn to them uh, for X, Y, Z reasons. Like, you'd, you'd say that in other words. You'd use other words for that. But attractiveness is about like sexual attractiveness. Um Interesting. As documented by the Oxford English Dictionary, well until the 1920s, the word sexy had negative connotations. Oh, I'm oh not, interesting. I'm not allowed to read non-highlights on this podcast anymore, so I'm not going ha- to be able to go into more detail there. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Carry on. <laughs> this is good. <laughs> uh, and yeah, she kind of continues making this point that sexiness points to the disentanglement of sex from emotions because most emotions are organized and generated by moral frameworks and sexiness presents itself as a cultural category and behavior that is not morally coded. Sure. Yeah, I get it. I buy it. All right. Now we move to this idea of uh, marriage markets. Uh, okay. Well, I just have one one point on this front. I think... In the last few weeks, I have started reading books about like sales and marketing and ads and copywriting and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's interesting just how thoughtful (laughs) the ad industry is. Oh, yeah. Where you'll you'll see these case studies around the idea of like category design and like what? How do you how do you you create a category? How do you create a category? How do you get your product to stand out? Like how did Dove become so popular? Well, because they realized that they, they made a whole series of advertising campaigns saying it's not soap, it's Dove. And actually, actually, it's a moisturizer that just happens to be a soap, that happens to have soap oh, really? properties. Yeah. And that was how they separated themselves out from whatever. And then they splashed, splashed millions of dollars in this campaign to convince everyone that it's not Dove, it's, it's not soap, it's Dove. Mm. Similarly, there was uh, some toothpaste company that was struggling and they had to convince everyone to use this toothpaste. Mm. And so they came up with like Minty Fresh. As being okay. a slogan, and toothpaste did not have mint in it prior to that point. Now all toothpaste has mint. Now all toothpaste <laughs> has mint because we associate mint with right. good the, hygiene. Yeah, and like the nice. cleaning is done because you feel yeah, the tingle. Exactly, it's like oh yeah, that mint. Yeah, my, my teeth feel really clean. Yeah, yeah. And you associate that with the minty thing. Mm. And there's often these like stories that you get within the ad world of oh this guy oh, back in the 1920s that you know he he realized that there was I don't know do you know why do you know why orange juice was invented? No. Because uh, America at one point was like during one of the years, there were just way too many oranges and not enough demand. And yeah. so they went to an ad agency. They were like, how do we convince everyone to drink, to like use, to eat, eat loads yeah, of oranges? oranges yeah. And then the guy realized that it takes two, three oranges to make make a glass of orange juice. Yeah. And they did a whole advertising campaign in the US that associated orange juice with breakfast as nice. part of a healthy breakfast. Yeah, yeah, now everyone's yeah. buying oranges and orange juice sales. Man, it is part of a breakfast. This is, this is fun. Exactly. This is you. This is like, you know, <laughs> this breakfast you're going to later, seventeen ninety nine, you're going to get a croissant and some orange juice. <laughs> <laughs> and that's because this guy in 1925 decided to <laughs> kind of psyop everyone into yeah, thinking yeah, orange yeah. juice is legit. Mate, so um, what, that is a good psyop. <laughs> that's a great psyop. There's another one like... Um, they were, when they were trying to sell cigarettes and stuff, there was oh, yeah. this whole like women's march. Have you heard about this? This rings a bell, but I can't remember. Yeah, there was this. Whole, I can't remember when it, when it, exactly when it was, but there was this whole around the sexual revolutionary kind of vibes. Yeah, where um, the whole vibe is women are being more empowered, women are becoming more like men, 
they sort of co-opted this kind of women's rights march. Yeah. They hired a bunch of like models and stuff to be kind of come out into, I think it was Times Square or something with a certain brand of like Marlboro cigarettes mm. in their mouth or something. Yeah. Strutting like down the thing. Uh, like, you know, cigarettes aren't just for men. Exactly. Kind of and like, like all like, like there were just like 10 of these people, but all the paparazzi and this like became headlines around the world. Whereas it was just like, oh my God, this is like, so this women's march was supposed to be about women's rights. And the ad agency decided like, aha, cigarettes women and then they immediately shot up sales of cigarettes because prior to that point mm. cigarettes were seen as like yeah. a thing for men yeah yeah exactly, and they need yeah. to double their market shares so they were like nice let's convince women that they, <laughs> that they should also smoke yeah yeah and so having like now that i'm reading books like this that are exploring these sorts of things it's just it's just kind of interesting like how with all this stuff like the the, the sexualization of bodies and and all of all of this stuff probably stemmed from like one ad agency at one point realizing mm. oh, oh hang on yeah, yeah, yeah and then everyone follows suit and now it's this whole psyop around yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah that's cool yeah i didn't know about the orange juice thing i can't believe that man yeah mate you've been but it's healthy you've been had it <laughs> when else would you have to be fair i actually i have orange juice for lunch and dinner as well nice i don't know you can use this story next time lucia yeah. says yeah yeah orange yeah. juice is a drink for breakfast yeah yeah so many people are like oh my god that's so weird like you why would you have a dinner yeah yeah exactly nice <laughs> they bought the psyop they bought the psyop mate yeah. um all right last one before we crack on uh yeah so basically the next chunk talks about marriage markets all right, right. economists assume that preference induces choice classic economic assumption and do not ask what the conditions for the formation of preference are um so, you know, there's kind of this assumption of, like, oh, you just have, like, your authentic, like, preferences inside, and then based on that, you make a choice. But the question is, like, you know, what makes you have these preferences? Um, finally, and maybe most crucially, economists are oblivious to the fact that marriage markets are not natural or universal, but rather are the result of a historical process of deregulation of romantic encounters. Here, of the disentanglement of the romantic encounter from traditional moral frameworks that regulated the process of choice. The great transformation of romantic encounters is thus the process by which no formal social boundary regulates access to partners and an intense competition comes to prevail in the process of meeting others. What economists view as the natural category of marriage market has in fact a historical genesis linked to the disappearance of formal rules of endogamy to the individualization of romantic choices and to the generalization of competition. So basically we we have to stop pretty soon, but um, one of the big differences on the ecology side of this stuff and the ecology of choice is that now the the markets are like fully liquid, you know, anyone can go for anyone, you know, yeah. it's basically like a free for all. Whereas previously um, these choices, these weren't like sort of completely free choices in the way we think of them today where like, you know, you could literally pick anyone else in you in the city or you live in or the country you live in you know the, these choices were mediated by existing social connections social groups family you know all of this kind of stuff um whereas now it truly is a free-for-all and that changes the way that uh, everyone like approaches and views these things okay so that's the by marriage market she just means like the point that we are in today with like you know dating apps and stuff like this where it is like extremely liquid yeah so a lot of this stuff so far in the last three episodes that we've talked about is just laying the groundwork, basically. Yeah. Like, does she have more on, like, the consequences of said 
model? Or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, she does. So I think this marriage market stuff is like the first time we'd actually get into it. Okay. Um, yeah, but we actually have to wrap up there, I'm afraid. Um, I have a breakfast meeting to get to. Um, My goodness. But thank you, everyone, for listening. Why did you we schedule both... a breakfast meeting on the, the same day as the pod? This was scheduled like two months ago. Scheduled two and months we, ago. We try, I, was, I was meant to wake up early for this, and so were you, but we started later than we expected. Anyway, thank you for listening, everyone, and we'll see you next week. Bye. That's it for this week. Thank you for listening. If you like this episode, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or on the Apple Podcasts website if you're not using an iPhone. There's a link in the show notes. If you've got any thoughts on this episode or any ideas for new podcast topics, we'd love to get an audio message from you with your conundrum, question, or just anything that we could discuss. Yeah, if you're up for having your voice played on the podcast and your question being the springboard for our discussion, email us an audio file mp3 or voice note to hi at notoverthinking.com. If you've got thoughts but you'd rather not have your voice played publicly, that's fine as well. Tweet or DM us at N Overthinking on Twitter, please. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.